morning. Welcome to Kesed and happy Father's Day. If this is your first time, my name is Danny. Welcome. I'm so excited that you're here. Kesed, the word Kesed is actually Hebrew. It's, it's, a, it's a word that's chesed, and it means steadfast love. It's, it's this love that it's really hard to get rid of and, and kind of uh, hard to push away, and so they call it sort of a, a God-originated love. We are trying to create a community that is sort of soaked in that. So if you're here and you are spiritually curious, if you're here and you have doubts, if you're here and you're just looking for a fresh start, uh, you found the right place because nobody here has it figured out. And uh, that's what makes us us. So thank you very much for being here, especially during this particular talk. Uh, we're in a series right now called Tear Soup. And uh, we're talking about what it means to be a community that grieves because we can't be a community that loves each other if we're not a community that loves each other even when we're hurting or maybe even especially when we're hurting. And so this book was given to me uh, a while back and it, it really impacted me and so I wanted to create a series around it and we weren't really sure how that would go and I think this is the third week of the series and so far uh, you all have purchased at an incredible cost from the authors over or just at 600 books uh, that you guys have bought. Uh, I talked to him yesterday. He said he's never seen or heard of anything like it, and they've done pretty big uh, grief responses to different areas in town. So I just want you to know that the way that you have embraced this topic, I think, will change our DNA as a community forever. And uh, I am so, so grateful to be in it. Uh, that said, I did have a few people ask me today if I was going to pause Tear Soup in order to talk on Father's Day, and I replied quite quickly, absolutely not, because uh, there's, really, there's really a lot of opportunity to, to talk about grief when it comes to not only how we father, but how all of us were fathered, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that, but it's going to be a little different than normal, so uh, I want to give you kind of a little bit of prep so that you are ready for what's coming. Um, it's one thing to make tear soup, which we've been doing over the last few weeks, to add all the ingredients, the memories, all the stuff that's supposed to be involved in order for us to, to uh, kind of embrace our grief and, and consume and share in our grief with each other. But it's a whole other thing to actually taste it, to actually sit in it and savor it and allow it to have deep impact on your life. And so today we're going to talk about what that's like. And we are going to do it, I think, in a, the last two services, a really powerful and kind of vulnerable way. Because today, at the end of service, I'm going to serve each of you uh, a small cup of my own tear soup. Uh, this is important because, um, well, as a father, someone who wants to break legacies that I've learned around grief, and, and also as a pastor in this church, somebody has to go first. Somebody has to kind of say, this is, this is where I'm hurting and this is what I'm dealing with. And the hope, and so far what the Holy Spirit has accomplished in this particular talk, is that uh, through, through sharing with me and my grief, you can understand a little better how to share your own or how to enter into the grief of those that you love. Uh, I want to say this, though, as well, that when the cup is passed, right, the, the proverbial cup of grief that Danny's going to pass around the room, uh, you do not have to partake. You can easily take a pass and just avoid to actually allow uh, what is happening in the room or what has happened in the room to impact you. And that's an important thing for you to realize as you walk out the making and hopefully eventually tasting of tear soup. Because, and I'll put it on the screen, tear soup or grief can only be consumed voluntarily. You cannot 
uh, you cannot push your tear soup on anyone, and no one can push their tear soup on you. This is a really important part of feeling safe in the room, but also perhaps thinking, you know what, I'm going to try this today in, a, in this community that it is open and authentic. So just know that. You, don't, you can take a pass when it's passed around, but I hope that you don't. I hope that you take a sip because it's taken me like a while to make this stuff. So uh, just try it. I promise. There's no onions in my tear soup at all for those of you who know me because onions are of the devil, right? That's it's a whole other talk, but I think the fruit that Adam, that Eve offered Adam, I think it might have been an onion because those things are nasty. But that's, that's, that's a whole other theological debate we can have at a different time. Um, this is why, listen, here's the thing, and here's, it'll be really easy for you to take a pass because actually I would argue to start that the church has taught us well how to do this. The church has been giving sermons and classes on how to skip tear soup for years and years and years. Let me give you an example. There's a woman in our church who invited me over to spend time with her and her husband to share a bit of her story, a bit of, of the stuff that she's experienced in her life as she was starting to, uh, her and her husband, fall more in love with Kessid in this community. And so my wife Erin and I went over, and we sat down with this couple, and uh, after this wonderful dinner, she said, can I share with you my infertility story? And there's a, a long, articulate version of this, but the short version is that this couple wrestled with infertility for years and years and years, that eventually they had three different uh, in vitro uh, procedures that, that didn't work until one of them actually did, and she became pregnant with twin girls. She carried these twin girls for 20 weeks, and of course it was incredibly exciting, and they were doing all the things that new parents do, and then found out that she had lost them both. She went on her grief journey, as did her husband. They talked with who they talked to, they read what they read, they, they spoke and shared and searched and looked and all those things, and eventually this led her to the office of her pastor at the time. She sat with her pastor and she shared with him her story, including the losses of these girls. She said that he listened well, that he had, if you will, love in his eyes, that he was patient, that he never interrupted or tried to steer the conversation. And when it was over, he basically looked at her when she said, why did God allow this to happen? And he said, and I'll put this on the screen, Maybe God saw something in you and so decided that you weren't ready to be a mother. This is not a uh, rare thing in the church to experience. That when we don't know how to sit with people in their hurt, we don't know how to engage people in their tear soup, it's not a rare thing to decide that we're just basically going to say God is good all the time and all the time God is good even when he takes your babies from you. And he just knows best. And maybe you were ill-prepared. Maybe you weren't ready. Maybe it's your fault because God is good. We try to provide answers for people. And we just make stuff up. Because in the church, we deeply struggle with sitting in the room with people when they are swirling. When they are experiencing the, the joy of the life that they finally were able to carry and the incredible loss that happened when that life passed from them. The church doesn't know how to do that. It doesn't know how to sit in the room with those two things swirling around. And so the church chooses a side. The church is really good about being very black and very white. This is one thing about Kesed that's, that's been difficult for a lot of people, but really important. Kesed seems to just live in the tension. This is why we get complaints that the music is too loud and too quiet every Sunday at the same time. 
Because one generation is like, you guys are performing, that bass is too much. And the next generation is like, I just want to get lost in the beat. This is also why we have multiple generations in the same room. Because, and I've been saying this more and more lately, it's not that they adore Kesed, it's just that they don't hate it. And they're like, I could find some space in the middle because I get to go with my mom. I get to be a part of a community that lives inside that tension. The church, for the most part, does not enjoy and does everything it can to get out of the tension. And most of life, by the way, is lived in the tension. Like most of life is lived in this space of, of, of trying to figure out who I am and where I am and why I am. Most of the therapy, we've been talking a lot about emotional health lately, most of therapy happens in the tension because the beginning of therapy, you're like, I didn't do anything wrong. I don't even need this. The end of therapy, you're like, I've got some tools to understand how to handle the things in my life and the choices I make. But most of therapy is spending time in the, oh my gosh, I did a bunch wrong and I don't know what to do about it. This is where tension is. This is where it exists. And that's why I believe this space that we're talking about Father's Day is important because fathers oftentimes, oftentimes because of the way that society has led them to be, feel like they have to create these very specific spaces that don't involve any tension. They can't be curious about much because they can't fail at all according to our society. And if they fail, they're flawed and weak. But if they're not flawed and weak and vulnerable, then they're pious and driven and unavailable. So this room on this Father's Day is an important space for us, all of us, to be able to sit in and sit inside the tension. The church as a whole is a big part of the responsibility when it comes to how we have taught men, uh, women, our children, everybody else to live in the tension. And this is because the church has more often than not refused to taste the tear soup of others. Every time you bring a bowl of tear soup, the church says, yeah, 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 but what about the tears of the Lord? Every time you bring a bowl of like, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm hurting, yeah, yeah, but how much has your sin hurt God? We're always swapping out people's tear soups for what we think the Bible is brewing, and I'm just here to tell you, I don't think that's soup. That's something else. It's not edible. It's not consumable. It doesn't nourish. It doesn't bring life. It just protects, and oftentimes, casts away people's humanity because so much of our humanity lives inside the tension. This incredible human swirling place of emotion that we all find ourselves can't be allowed to exist in the church as it is. So the church tries to find a way to fix it, to clarify it, to excuse it, or to explain it. And I know those things by heart because that was the way that I operated in the church for the first decade of my pastoral ministry. I will fix you. I will clarify your feelings for you. I will excuse what it is you're feeling altogether, or I'll explain it all the way. Either way, I'm not going to consume your tear soup with you. And some of that's because nobody in the church I grew up with consumed tear soup with me. The saddest part is that a lot of the times as we in a community, because I think now we're spreading outside the church walls into uh, you know, just being the Christians God has called us to be. We as a community do a lot of this with great care and thoughtfulness. We do it like that pastor did, with love in our eyes, with patience, with understanding, with perseverance, and any other verse that I want to throw at it. And then we say this horribly damning thing that makes us feel like, oh, it's not on me, it's you, God, but does keep us from the pain. Let me give you an example. This is Rembrandt's the Lady and Gentleman in Black. It was painted in 1633. It's one of Rembrandt's 
most famous paintings. It has been studied by art historians for years because of the nuance, because of the way he used light, because of all these beautiful things about it. It was only recently that x-rays revealed that sitting within this empty space before these two people, before the man, woman, and the chair, an x-ray shows that there used to be the image of a small child playing with a dog that was chasing a ball. It's believed that this family had the the portrait made with the child and the dog and, and the beauty of what they had was put on canvas in their minds forever and then suddenly they lost the child. When they lost the child, the grief was so much they called back the original artist and paid him to erase the child and the dog from all memory. Now this is a really important thing I want you to, to hold on to. Rembrandt is so skilled and so excellent at what he does that the original painting that he then covered that as it is now was never, none of these things were picked up on. You can't see a thickening of the paint or some sort of awkward blending. He is such a skilled artist at what he does that he was able to do this thing for this family. And I want to say this to all of us in the room who grew up with church, who have skills that we have developed that God has given us to help people and support people and encourage people and be the hands and feet of Jesus, as we've said, only the church with its skills would be able to cover so much emotional pain with so much spiritual distraction. Only the church, because only the church has all the paintbrushes. So someone enters into your life, and I'm taking us outside of, of Kessid Church or even the, the Clark County Church. I'm taking us just to the church. The movement of church as a whole has so many beautiful paintbrushes that we have used to paint love onto the world, to paint grace onto the world, to paint forgiveness onto the world. It's supposed to be how to paint grief onto the world. And yet when the world came to us with their pain, we said, through love, we erase that pain. Through forgiveness, we forget the things that happened to you. Through, uh, through serving and worshiping God, we protect the church's reputation by, by, by covering up the sins of the organization, if you will. We do all these beautiful things, and people look at it, and they're like, man, from the outside, it seems really beautiful, but something's missing. And it's the heartache that's missing. I believe what's missing from the church is the ability to do what we're doing right now. I've been a part of some really fun church things. I've never experienced the swelling of of people's uh, willingness to engage a topic like we are right now. Whole new families are coming to a church, not because it's, it's programmatically solid or creative or the preaching's good. They're coming to the church because they heard they can hurt there. Like, it's profound. It's as if we scraped back the painting that covered what's real in the picture, and we saw it, and we valued it, and we hurt for it, and we were authentic about it. We as a church body and we as individuals must get better at sitting with the swirl that we all deal with, the swirl of loss and life that we meet in each other's eyes every single day. We have to. We must. And that's why we're doing this particular series. But it's going to start not with me on stage or, or even you in the audience. It's going to start internally for each of us on a personal level. It's going to start with this idea that we are going to sit with our own grief and sit with our own stuff, and we're going to expose that it exists in our lives to others like I'm about to do for you right now. Uh, some of you know my father passed away unexpectedly in 2019 from complications following his open-heart surgery. I got to see him 
About a day and a half after the surgery, I got to tell him I loved him. He was awake. They said, ah, it's not, his recovery's going slowly. But I, I made a way to get in, and I saw him. And, and then uh, I think it was about 10 days later, uh, he, he went through all these different things, went into a coma, and then just never woke up. My father uh, was a complicated man. I shared, I think, two or three weeks after his death to our church that um, he was both a saint and a scoundrel at the same time. He was a, he was a, a, a beautiful man, but uh, he was also a bold man in what he wanted. Uh, he was married 10 times, my father was. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, I joked that I took him to, I think it was Red Lobster, uh, to have a celebratory dinner when he beat Elizabeth Taylor's record. I don't think he thought it was too funny, but I did. And I was like, congratulations, Dad. Number nine, you know, whatever it was. Uh, the funny part is, the funny part is we found out, I think about four or five months ago, that actually we've been telling everybody he was married 10 times, but there was one he never told us we found in the record. So, 11. <laughs> he was a carousing and manipulative man, but he was also very, very funny and very, very loving one strange thing but consistent about my father was how often he would encourage me to seek God even as he actively chose not to. He would tell me about all the ways I shouldn't be like him while also being proud of me around the ways that are like him that, that I was using, he thought, for the kingdom. Much of my father's loving side would be expressed through his music. He was an incredible uh, vocalist, and so... This is something that he passed down to all of his kids. As a matter of fact, every child in my immediate family can sing. We are a family of vocalists. Um, my uncle, Dave, for, so for those of you who are new, we have a worship leader here, Dave. Uh, Dave is my uncle. He's my father's brother. And so uh, singing is just in our family. For many years, I was actually privileged to lead worship with my uncle, uh, who now sings here at Kesed over at Living Hope Church. And so I did that for a long, long time till I had to kind of make a choice whether I was going to lead worship with my life or I was going to speak. And I just felt like this is what God wanted me to do, so this is, this is what I do now. Uh, one of those Sundays at Living Hope, my uncle somehow convinced my dad to come and close a service with him. And so I have a kind of a grainy video of that, and I just want to show you uh, about that Sunday and what that was like. It was, it's special to have now, but uh, give you an idea of my dad, and then I'll share a little more about him. Please watch. Would you guys give a welcome to my brother? He's going to come up. We're going to sing a song together. <laughs> this is really weird. <laughs> I'm used to singing to drunk people. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. All right, let's sing. <laughs> let's turn it up. But if we are wise, 
We know that there's always tomorrow. Lean on me yeah, when you're not strong, and I'll be your friend, and I'll help you carry on. Oh, it won't be long till I'm gonna As you can see, this was when my father was, he, uh, he was transitioning out of his dog to bounty hunter phase. <laughs> he used to have a black, black uh, dyed beard and the long blonde hair. And I said, dad, what are you doing? And he said, the women in the bar love it. <laughs> oh, now here's something really interesting. I don't know if I've spoke about this publicly, but uh, if you're wondering why this voice might sound familiar to you, my father's voice, that's because we found out a few months after my father's death that he had been doing some work ghostwriting and ghost singing music. And so he had been the music behind some uh, folks on YouTube. And one of those folks on YouTube got into trouble uh, while he was filming a documentary. So I'm just going to show you just a small clip of the song my father wrote and sang that then went worldwide. And... Uh, We'll talk a minute about that. Please watch. Tell all the hunters to lay down their guns. Tell them that the tiger needs a little bit of love. Let them run the jungle, let them roam their land, then stand back and marvel, what a beautiful cat, cause I saw a tiger. Yeah, that's right. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. My father is the voice behind the infamous Joe Exotic, the Tiger King. Which, by the way, for what it's worth, if my father is the voice of the Tiger King, I clearly am the Tiger Prince. So that's, so that's something I'm really excited about. I didn't even know I was royalty, so that's important to know about, about your story. Uh, if you have no idea what it is, you just watch that goofy video. Is, uh, please don't watch the documentary on Netflix. It is highly inappropriate. But, uh, but my dad uh, uh, sang all those songs, wrote most of them as well. And uh, he would have he loved uh, all that happened this last summer around that documentary. But, but he wasn't here to see it. Uh, now, all these complicated pieces of my father's story, all these things that I'm sharing with you right now, these are all the ingredients that I have collected over the last 20 months to make the tear soup that, uh, that I'm going to serve you here in a bit. Uh, I've been making this stuff off and on. I've been watching videos or, or, or listening to that or being a part of, uh, of just my dad's legacy. We had to, of course, go through all, of, all his stuff, as you do, and we found the lyrics to, like, all those Tiger King songs, which is kind of fun. So we, we, just, we just tried to kind of get involved in, in the legacy of our dad as, 
as dysfunctional as it is. But if I was also honest with you, I, I must share that uh, some days have been easier than others. Some days have been really, really hard as I made the soup. And just recently, I realized that I was pretty much only making soup. I wasn't really tasting it. I was just saying, yeah, that's an important piece of my dad, or yeah, that's really sad that that was behavior he had, or oh, I'm really sad that I never had this in a father, or I'm really glad that I got to spend this time with him. I just was making soup, making soup, making soup, but I was never actually tasting the soup until recently. These are my wife's parents, my in-laws, David and Midge Ruiz. Uh, if David looks familiar to some of you, that's because he might have delivered your babies. Uh, he is a physician in town that uh, has been around for a really, really long time. And since the loss of my father, I have found great solace sitting with both of these loving people, but especially David, and I'm grateful for the space he has allowed me to hold within his family. Um, out of the blue, just a few months ago, we found out as a family that David was told he would have to undergo an even more complicated open-heart surgery than the one my dad had just previously passed away from. The initial emotion was, of course, uh, traumatic, but I wanted to be there for my wife because I understood what it was to hear that kind of story. But inwardly and privately and quietly, I was swirling. I really wasn't able to figure out why until we got to sit with David and see him. So fast forward uh, a, a couple weeks after the, the initial uh, realization that the surgery had to occur, 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 and Aaron and I were invited to see David after he was at home post-op for a few days. And so we walked into his house, and of course we rushed to hug him, and instantly in the midst of all this elation and good news, I was sad. Now, I did, I think, a pretty good job. My wife never asked me, how are you afterwards? But I went into, you know, uh, like, 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 like a sort of a performance where I was just happy that he was there. I was, of course, truly excited that he had made it through the surgery. But inwardly, I didn't really understand what was swirling inside me and why I was so sad. Over the next hour, David updated Aaron and I about his procedure and his recovery and so on. And I just kept getting sadder and sadder and sadder without showing it. It wasn't until he began to share how thankful he was for the journey, how it had awakened him, and how it had revealed some things in his life he wanted to work on, and all these really beautiful, introspective things that were encouraging to me as a man of importance in my life, and of course, hugely encouraging to my wife that I pinpoint what it was I was dealing with, and that was the fact that David, a man who was who was sound. David, a man who was solid, was having awakenings to be even more sound and be even more solid because David lived through the surgery and my dad didn't. And if there's anybody in this county that needed awakening, if there was anybody in this county that needed to be more sound than he was, for me and for my kids and for everybody around him, it would be my dad. And so I begin to just just be overwhelmed with the sadness. But again, I kept it together. This is why I'm talking to fathers just a little bit right here. Because I don't know where we got this gift. I don't know why it is we lose at poker so bad because no, everyone can read us. But when we're feeling grief, it's like, <clears throat> got it. And I think it's because it has just been refined generationally. My dad was a terrible griever along with many other things. I think his father was even worse. This is how we teach because nobody wants to go first. And so I sat in that room, and I hurt, and I hurt, and I hurt, and I survived, frankly, until we left. 
I made sure we made it home. I made sure my wife, you know, was sort, of, was sort of resting where she needed to be. And then I went outside beneath the stars, and I told God everything I thought about him. And when Danny tells God everything he thinks about him, it is articulate and well-structured. <laughs> I'm like, God, I know in heaven you have music, so cue the underscore, because it's about to get legit. <laughs> and I told him everything, everything. This isn't fair. Thank you, by the way, so much for leaving David here with me. Thank you so much. So important. Not cool. And I sat in the great life that I was blessed to hold and the great loss that I had to let go of. And I swirled and I swirled and I swirled. And then, for me at least, something new happened. It was as if while I was eating this soup that had taken me months to prepare, that God pulled up a chair, poured himself a bowl, and started eating it with me. There was just this space that, that, that he was willing to sit with me in. And it was like all of me. It was the angry me and the articulate me and the me that just sort of uttered like, you. It was all the feelings and all the stuff. And he just had a bite and then another bite and then another bite. Memory after memory, he sat with me with all that swirled in that bowl, unhidden and exposed, just Danny, with just God. There's a verse that I've always loved that I think kind of represents what this space that I was blessed to be able to sit in with, and uh, it's actually the only verse in the sermon, so, uh, so if you measure quality of sermons based on amount of verses, I'm just going to, I'll take a solid D today, because that's... <laughs> This is what I got. But Psalm 113, 2 and 3, so two verses, says this. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. This is a really interesting verse for me because I'm someone who has a really big God. Uh, as a, as a, a Dornbecker kid, a cancer kid, you have to figure out early on sort of where you're going to go if this particular surgery or procedure doesn't work out. And, and I chose God early on in my life, and he's just gotten bigger and bigger and bigger. And that means that I give God as much credit as I know how to. I give God all the time at Kesed. I say the biggest thing we can do at Kesed is give this thing away and just be stewards of what he's doing because the best thing we can do is have people forget that we even did anything. It's God who did it and God who reigns and God who passes it on to the next generation. Right? My whole goal is to be forgotten. And that's a big part of how I survived this world, survived the relationship with my father and everything else is I just had to, I had to know that God had me because my dad certainly didn't. So I have a big giant God. And when I read verses like this, at first I was like, bless God. Like God's the blesser. God's the one who pours, uh, you know, into my life. God's the one who forgives and heals and secures and goes out and searches. I'm the one who's drowning all the time. Like every breath I take is a blessing from God. Every morning I wake up next to my wife is a blessing from God. My children, blessing. All of you, a blessing. Blessing, blessing, blessing. This is all that God does in my life. And I started to ponder this verse from this space that I've been walking through in my own emotional health. And I started to think about uh, my own children. I started to think about uh, when my children would bring me like a little drawing of a, like a crayon duck. And they were like three or four years old. And they'd bring this thing that, that you know, looked more like a gecko up to me. And they would, they would hand it to me. And I never once, I'm just going to be honest with you, I never once took the drawing and was like, 
That's not a duck. Go back and bring it back when you can actually draw a duck. Or, ducks aren't pink. What are you doing? Like, go back and, or, man, I don't understand how you even, what, what, the, what kind of animal is this again? And just sort of, just sort of bring them into a space where the offering they bring to me as a father is less than. Absolutely not. It's the exact opposite. My wife has an entire crate and storage of stinking duck drawings. Because she's like, <gasps> and I am like, this is so precious. Look at this gecko duck that my daughter drew. This is amazing, right? And every time they bring me anything, I just get more and more excited. And they get more and more excited to bring us more and more stuff. When we bless God, the blesser, I think it's like that. We're like, God, here's my, here's my disciplined life. And he's like, is that a disciplined life? <laughs> and he's like, you know what? It is, I'll take it. And we're like, yeah, God's like, ugh. And you're like, God, here's my talents. And he's like, those are great, I love them. I love them. I love God, I'm gonna do this thing for you. And God's like, whoa, that's awesome. And he receives our blessing over and over and over. Here's what I think happens when we invite God up to tear soup. Sorry, I get getting excited. Eventually, I'm just gonna step myself right into the audience. This is what I think happens when we invite God and we bring all of our tear soup, all of our ingredients to him, and he sits down with us. It isn't that he isn't the definer and the creator of the, the, the most amazing tear soup that the world has ever known in the, in the sacrifice of Jesus. And yes, he could look at your tear soup and be like, that's your pain? The cross. Back to what the church does. Oh, really? This is how you flavor your life? Don't you never read the Psalms? And it, that's not what God does. Because God is this epic hard to get rid of God who loves hessedly. He, he is steadfast. And so he sits with us like a dad sits with, a with his daughter at a little plastic tea party. And he listens to us rant and rave and tell us our stuff. And then he takes out a, 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 a spoon and a cup and he pours most of the tear soup into his bowl. Because you and I won't survive <laughs> tasting it all. And he sits with us Oh, I thought third service would be better. He sits with us, and he consumes the grief with us at a rate that, that we think we're just like, I can't stand this. Look how much it is. And he's like, I know. And he just keeps pouring more and more and more. Here's what I believe. Blessing the blesser is a whole lot like sitting with God with our tear soup and feeding the feeder. And he knows and he is with you like he was with me. And he consumes the grief of the day. Now, here's what's important. Please know, this is just one bowl of tear soup. I've got 2,500 other ones in a commercial freezer deep within my soul. I mean, they are, they are there, and they have to come out eventually. And some are going to be shared with you today, and some are going to be shared just with my, my wife or maybe with my kids, maybe 20 years from now. I don't know. What I know is that every time I bring a bowl out, God sits with me and consumes everything within it that I won't be able to survive. And I sit and I feed him and he receives it. And we are connected and we are in relationship and I am made just a little bit more whole. Now, it doesn't mean that, that now all this time, even after that happened, because that was a few months ago, that I'm better whatever better is. I, I heard a story, uh, I was preaching at an emotional health conference actually here in town yesterday, uh, most of the day, and I had a lady come up afterwards and she said, you know, I want to tell you, I really appreciate all the stuff you're sharing, 
uh, and the permission to grieve is so important. She said, I went to a church like 20 years ago, and my daughter passed away. And after the funeral, I went back to church the next Sunday, and it was just hard service and really difficult. And one of the elders' wives saw me, and she walked up, and she said with tons of love in her eyes, how are you? And I looked at her, and I said, I'm not good. And she said, and a tear rolled down my face, and this woman reached up and lovingly wiped off the tear, and she said, now, now, none of that here. You're okay. We've got you, and God's got you. And she was like, oh, okay. This is, this is not how it's supposed to be. It's actually supposed to be all of that here. It's the exact opposite of how it's supposed to be. This is where you go. And these are the people that are supposed to understand it, which is why somebody has to go first. Somebody has to be willing to sit with God and partake. It's not over for me. I know it. As a matter of fact, this is my current voicemail screen on my phone as of this morning. Because sometimes you just, you just want to hear the voice of your dad. My dad used to call me at work and tell me dirty jokes because he thought it was funny. <laughs> for me to be at work <laughs> having to listen to him. So some of these voicemails you will never, ever hear. <laughs> I'm not better. I'm just partnered with God. And so I'm tasting or getting ready to the soup more and more in my life. I believe this is the purpose of eating tear soup, intimacy and healing. This is why we're supposed to do it. I said earlier, and I'll say one more time to the fathers in the room, if you can refuse to take a pass from tasting the tear soup, I'm about to pass you. If you can sit in a space where you where you can ignore all of the stuff that's happening right now, you should be curious about that. And then you should decide to pull out a spoon and just have a small, small bite. The tasting and not just the making of tear soup has become a regular part of Danny's story and healing from loss. I'd like now, as I promised, to show you what that looks like for me. I'd like to invite you to have just a small cup of my regularly made, tasted, now and tasted, tear soup. I shared with you earlier that my family uh, was a family of vocalists. Well, that seems to be true, not just for my father's family, but for my own as well. Uh, this is a picture of my dad, myself, and my 17-year-old daughter, Elena, who led you all in worship today. About six to seven months after my dad died, my daughter Elena came to me and said she was gonna step out and sing a solo song, lead a song at church. She'd been singing a little bit in youth group, and we had heard her around the house, but we'd never really seen her behind a microphone. I was, of course, ecstatic. She practiced and practiced, and then the service came, and she stepped forward, and the lights lowered, and she opened her mouth, and a beautiful song rang out. And almost instantly, I was completely overcome with sadness. But I didn't take a pass, because I'm getting better. Not perfect, but I'm getting better at eating the tear soup that I've been making. So while everyone else in the room was standing, I sat down in the back, and I let the swirl take me away. My daughter was a singer. Like I'm a singer. Like my father's a singer. 
And my daughter will find tons of intimacy inside the music that she creates. It'll, be, it'll become part of her identity, but that didn't come from me. That came from my father. And as my, fa- as my daughter led and sang and did all these beautiful things, I was swirling with life because I was so proud, I was so excited that we could share that together. And then almost instantly, this, this heart-wrenching feeling overwhelmed me. And I realized just all of a sudden that my dad will never see her sing. The man who would have been the first up to the stage, the one who would have taken her go-karting and then talked about music and taken her to Dairy Queen and then talked about music. He would have used that, leveraged that. He would have built an entire world with her around music. And he never, ever will. And so I sat in the swirl of this beautiful thing that I was experiencing while also experiencing this incredible loss. As I was reminded that, that there's... There's nothing I can do about it. And I just hurt. Every time my daughter sings, my heart swells with how grateful I am for her and my father and the love God has for us. And every every single time my daughter sings, it hurts me. Those are both mine. Those are what I taste with the Lord. And so because on a kind of larger scale, somebody has to go first, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share some of that pain with you. I've asked my daughter Elena to close our service today with a song. I hope that it encourages you not to just make your own, but taste your own tear soup as well. I hope that you think about the legacy that you could be breaking for your sons and daughters, for your grandchildren, that you could be the one in your family, mother, father, uh, you know, even if you're a single person in a community, you you could be the one who decides to bring up pain, to bring up grief, not so that you are completely lost within it, so that you can point out, look how much of it God comes and brings forth healing through in our lives. But it only happens if you're willing to taste it. So I hope you don't take a pass today. As I hurt, as you hurt for me, as I hurt for you and all the things that, that are being kind of torn open in this space, I've told someone recently, I said, I've, been, I've, been, I've come to believe that the Holy Spirit, you know, we say he resides in our heart. I think he resides within the cracks of our broken heart. I think that's where he lives. I think that's just a beautiful image around how God wants to move and see and and believe you right now. And so, I hope that you don't take a pass. I hope that you stay where you are. And I hope that you you bless the Lord, that you feed the feeder, that you feel your feelings, that you hurt with me and yourself and each other. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this space that we are standing in right now, I ask God that uh, the intricate work that needs to happen for this to make the change it's supposed to would begin. I ask, Lord, that conversations would potentially uh, be had from here that have never been had, that, that there would be a, a sense, Lord, of uh, rejuvenization inside the homes that are here represented within this church, within our, our communities, but most of all, God, within our hearts. 
I pray, Lord, that you would just, uh, just meet us as we sit, as we share this tear soup. That, God, we would make a commitment to be people who are authentic when we're hurting. Not just for ourselves, but for those that we love. May this place always ring out blessing to you, God. May we, may we always offer <laughs> the pictures we're drawing knowing that you are a loving, steadfast Father. And may we know that ultimately Father's Day is about you meeting every single one of us wherever we are and loving us unlike anyone ever has. Sitting with us in our grief, sitting with us in our story. So we bless your name, Lord. We lift this space to you now. Amen.
Thanks so much for coming. Have a great week.